0: You're listening to a podcast from the University of Warwick. This series was produced as part of the conference All Together Now, British Theatre After Multiculturalism. The conference is organised in collaboration with the British Theatre Consortium. In this episode we hear the question and answer session from the panel discussion Offending the Audience.
1: Uh, But I'm going to take comments and and, uh, questions and if we have time go back to the panel. Uh, at the end, and we're going to overrun a bit, but we can't overrun massively. So, anybody? Yes, Michael. I'm sorry, yes, is there a is there a her? Thank you. Thank you.
2: Um, the fact of the matter is that the world is a much less... Diverse, a much less various place now than it used to be, in the sense that most of the world's religions, most of the world's religious practices, most of the world's languages, and probably following on from David's point, most of the world's sports Mm. have been destroyed in the last couple of hundred years. And it's interesting and perhaps unsurprising that the forces that have destroyed the world's variousness, I speak of proselytizing religions, are the very forces that we are most likely to have to offend, you know? And um, I've come to the conclusion, I mean, I've, like, like you on the panel, I've never set out to offend anybody, but there's very few things I've written that somebody hasn't tried to ban or sue. And, and <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that we might think that storytelling is the world's oldest profession and we might think that storytelling is the way that society makes sense of itself to itself but there's an awful lot of people who think that the very practice of storytelling is inherently offensive
1: thank you Yeah, at the back uh, uh, on the right <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, did I
3: drag your microphone from your hand? (laughs) (laughs) It's coming back. (laughs) Um, I'll be swift. Um, I just think it's um, an interesting point that in a conference that started at a place of national narrative um, and bringing back multiculturalism, that we talk about giving offence without noting that that national narrative has extraordinary brutality Um, that has been committed to people who are now within this country and also trying to make theatre talking about their own truths. And this is such a broad subject. I don't think we can do it in in the ten minutes we've got, but I think it's important for us to contextualise that when we think about the offence that communities take, the reasons for that and also that there needs to be some reciprocity in this. So there needs to be, everybody needs to be able to create a fence equally, and um, that does not necessarily exist. So I'm not going to try to sum all that up, but that's just something that I think has been missing from each of the fascinating panelists, is that context from national narrative to where we are now in a
1: Good, um, and now give John Blackner his microphone back.
4: Hi. Um, Some time ago, about 18 months ago, uh, there was an equity conference on censorship, uh, which is uh, accelerated by the Beshti scandal. There was a lot of discussion there about offense and when offense turns to harm, and what the relationship between offense and harming is. And I'm just interested, because we haven't heard anything about that, and where, where the limits on offense where it turns into harming people, and how you define harming people in that way. So I, d- I was just interested that this hasn't arisen today, but 18 months ago, it was the kind of the centre of the debate.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think people did refer a bit to incitement, didn't they? I mean, to, to which is obviously the legal. I mean, the, the legal border is between, you know, if you incite somebody, your speech is creating an action. But uh, but 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 I will ask people to come to come back. But that on action that. might not be harm, but I'm. I'm trying, oh, no, no, y- no, of course. Anybody else? Yeah, sir, so, just behind.
5: Um, There's quite a lot of points here that I could like.
1: And actually, I'm sorry, I sorry. should have asked before, and now I'm interrupting you. C- could people just remind us of their name, because sure, there's different no problem.
5: people there. I'm um, Hardish Ferg. There's quite a lot of points I want to respond to, and I didn't agree with everything that was said on the panel, but it was a really interesting points I made. But it's actually, this is not what I came into this session to talk about, but actually what was raised was, um, in relation to Richard and Janet, and Stuart's point was, it was a political agenda sometimes that I touched to the troubles that are caused in order to shut down shows. Um, uh, I mean, the, I think there was a the Whitechapel incident that really raised it for me when things were brought up uh, as misinformation in order to generate um, a population of people to cause whatever troubles. Um, but it really goes back to the the incident, because I remember I was, I was in Edinburgh, but I heard it on the news on the Saturday of the show, there was the troubles at the rep, um the following week a lot of people had jumped on the bandwagon basically saying that the show should stay open until that there was one particular individual in birmingham who was saying that the show shouldn't be shut down that it's our right to you know have the show put on until he had a direct phone call from the very people that were trying to shut the show down said if you don't shut up we'll you know cut your heart out and stick it down your throat so the point is this there's a lot of people who went who who were part of these troubles because i I have had um, indirect uh, conversations with these people as well it was just um there's a lot of people who were at these troubles who weren't who'd never seen the show, and they had other agendas, um, and they're from. Um, there's also territorial things that are going on, and so the very people um, that you're trying to reach, when once the word gets out and, and it travels through the community, it just it's just the agendas that are attached to why the show should be shut down. So the the point is. Um, it's the agendas that attached to uh, closing shows down. But the other th- thing I wanted to mention was also the backlash to BSD as well. I felt there was a lot of intolerance within the arts and theater, the theater community as well in terms of the way in which they responded to the BSD affair. Um, I remember reading articles and, and quotations from various different in, uh, people from the arts and theater community saying that we didn't realize Sikhs were a bunch of thugs so it works on both sides. There's this intolerance and this sort of political genders that are running within these communities uh, who have no interest in going to the theatre, for example, or going to see B.S.T. but there's something else going on which is quite ugly. But then there's something else going on within the arts and theatre community which is about intolerance within that community, about not really understanding the diversity of the Sikh community and actually um, generalising the whole... Um, sick community that came to, to came to the troubles and generalising them as a whole community. And there's probably about what 10 million of us in this country, and I'm sick as well. So I mean, I just want to look at them two arguments really.
1: Good, thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Hi, I'm, I'm just interested in the fact that the um, well, two things. One is that. David said, in some ways, play should be more offensive, um, as if that somehow is more effective. But actually, the experiences we've seen here, sometimes the offensiveness means the play is less effective and all the subtleties and nuances that might be there are somehow lost in the discussion and the actual events. And secondly, it's interesting how effective the people who take offense have been in terms of dealing with the issue. In some ways, I think they've got the upper hand That they actually, some of the play, especially, didn't go on. Um, You always have problems with James Springer. And so it's actually quite an interestingly difficult area about how art is effective in an environment where offense is a common uh, response. Good good, good point. Yes, Janelle.
6: Two things that I wanted to um, tease out or contribute to the conversation. One, I think there's uh, a good democratic discussion about what gives offense. This goes to our first speaker. Um, But that what gives offense is also worthy of being paid attention to. And I don't agree that it's only a a kind of culture of victims that complains about offense. I think offense can be taken, offense is real. There's a big difference between something being illegal or suppressed in the sense of censorship and uh, expression of distaste and the, and the um, public uh, sentiment that something has gone too far. This latter thing can be debated, and it can be debated quite reasonably, as well as quite passionately and maybe not so reasonably, uh, and we can differ about it, but the argument is worth having. That's what we should be having. Often it seems to me that the discussion about what is appropriate gets, gets called censorship or silencing. And that only happens sometimes. That only involves the law. That only involves certain kinds of violent intervention. I mean, I think we can make a distinguishing mark between those cases. And I think we have to, uh, for the reasons really that the first speaker brought forward about how democracies and diversities work when people disagree.
1: Thank you. Jude Kelly, yeah.
7: Hi, um, this is not to disagree with anything that has been said, but it really start with your first point, David, about who owns the microphone, who holds the microphone. And it would not be difficult to understand that minority voices would see themselves as not holding any microphone or any framework in which to discuss theater, because they're not usually on the inside of the discussion. And if they were to follow the style of what I would sometimes say was extreme bullying by theater critics, of say, Sarah Kane's Blasted, if you just took that as an example, or Edward Bond's Saved, we have our own history of tyranny from people who hold a microphone, and extreme bullying, and people expressing real outrage and offense I mean, Mark Rallance's Macbeth is another one, where the critics themselves arm themselves as a brigade and want something taken off. Now, of course they'll say that's within the framework of the, sort of the rules of engagement, which means it won't necessarily be taken off. We all understand that. But when you don't have a voice, it would be possible to say, well, we need to find a way of holding onto a microphone in order to make our point, our point forcibly. I don't argue that in order to justify anything about taking off Gupreet's play or any of that, because I don't think that should have happened. But I just wonder whether we are misunderstanding the ability for our own society to oust something. And, And we do that very regularly, and very forcefully, and very brutally, and somehow we're not recognizing that because we think, well, that's the way we do things. But viewed from an outsider's point of view, how do they grab, grab a microphone and bully equally effectively to get something off?
1: Yeah. Anybody else? Right, oh, I'm sorry, yes.
8: No. Hi, um, for me it's, I'm a very proud Yido and, and a Muslim as well, um, but a lot of what people have, have here have done about, about offending the audience, nobody has set out to offend. Um, I don't think kind of Beshti or Jerry Springer or, or Richard are out to offend. So when you talk about um, kind of like the, the Muslim going out to write a play about kind of, um, uh, kind of wanting to take over the world, to me, it'll, you know, if we go out causing to offend, that, that will be a problem. But it, it will be no more offensive as if socialists and communists once say it would be really nice if we ran the world. The only difference is, is we're a, a culture and a community from outside of non-European culture. Um, Coming from outside, so I don't think it'll be offensive. You know, it's it's not really controversial Everybody knows that everybody wants to dominate over everybody so it's not really a a controversial statement to say It's about the the intent and causing of offense, which you know in hearing these people speak today They haven't set out to do that and I don't think artists generally do and that's all I wanted to say
1: Brilliant. Francis, I'm afraid that's the last one and then I'll ask any of the panelists who want to come back But I won't go along the line to, to do so
3: for me, there's something about context going on. I'll just say but very briefly. I was sitting in a, in a Jewish luncheon club. I am Jewish one day, having done some work with Jewish elders with a young Muslim worker who I got on very well with. In the middle of lunch, we were having a nice kosher lunch. He tried to convert me to Islam hmm. in the friendliest way and the kindliest way and the most caring way. It was as if we were not where we were. or we. It was very strange and extraordinary and in a way i treasured the experience i explained the english revolution to him in return and we ended in mutual total incomprehension but quite friendly and so I, I think we have to we need to look at context and skip and all sorts of things that's all
1: thanks so much is anybody would any of the panelists like to respond to I any of that janet and I? put your hand up janet yeah and, oh. Oh, right so sorry so a, a, a non-guardian length <laughs> couple of
9: sentences. Okay, my first sentence is about holding the mic. Um, one of the points I did want to make that I didn't was that um, when, when we did Beachty at the Rep, only the times came from the national press to critique it. Um, because, you know, running a theatre company, a touring theatre company, I can't tell you the struggle we have in trying to get the press to even come and look at our work. It's, it's like non-existent, it's like we do not exist. Nobody even wants to talk about it unless there's a riot. And then it's plastered all over the front pages, you know, um, I've had it time and time again. Um, So that, you know, we are invisible in that way within the community of theatre. And and the other point I'd like to make, last night, unable to sleep as I am when I'm in a new bed for the first time, was watching late-night television, and it was the top, I don't know if anybody saw it here, the top comedy, 50 comedy films ever made. And... um, Number one, I don't know if you can all guess what it was, but it was The Life of Brian. And uh, I can remember when that first came out and the Ferrari that created over the fact, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury was there saying that this film should not go out. It was banned in cinemas. I I heard that it was banned in towns that didn't even have cinemas, which I thought was (laughs) quite cool. Um, So, you know, I think we live in an era that is ever-changing. The times in which we live change. And, you know, Bejhti was a while ago. We are still talking about it. I think that's interesting. But I think, you know, there there will be something else. And when we look back at this, you know, we will maybe feel differently about it. Those are the two points I'd like to make.
4: Richard. Uh, Yes. Uh, Just on on that, Ian Hersey Ali has called for a Muslim life of Brian. No, which I thought is quite interesting. Um, you know, the life of Iqbal. <coughs> she thinks it would be very healthy for the world if there was a life of Iqbal. And we can imagine that, can't we? <laughs> the life of Mohammed. Um, I wanted to say that uh, one of the great, I- in, the, in the history of theatre, uh, John Middleton Singh, um, caused a, a riot at the Abbey Theatre um, for a play about um, the community of, the Western Irish um, peasants, let's call them that, if you like, um, and they hated it and the, they screamed the place down, largely because he was Anglo-Protestant, middle-class, whatever, um, commentator, on that. And I, I, this came up in conversation last night and I, I just thought, wouldn't it what, it, what if he'd actually set out to offend did something different well what they were offended by was the suggestion that uh, the Irish people swear and they 're always on the edge of criminality, uh, and that was w- what offended them. What if he 'd actually done a play um, about Irish Catholic priests um, uh, you know uh, abusing uh, sexually abusing the children a th- hundred years ago uh, and got that out in in public yeah they 'd have burnt the abbey down obviously uh, at that, but there 'd be a hundred years of young children that, um, you know, w- possibly would have been saved the abuse. I just want to say that, so Thanks.
0: Karen. Um, I think there are two different ways that, um, that we've been talking about uh, the giving of offence. And we also recognise that the very notion of offence has actually changed quite dramatically over the past 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and that's part of the problem. See, there are many ways qu- one can disagree we, 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 with other people, you can say they're wrong, they can, uh, they're reactionary, you, you, they're, they're, what they say is outrageous. But what all those um, uh, dis- kinds of disagreements um, entails or, or embodies is the idea that you can have some kind of debate, dialogue uh, um, in, in relation to what is being said. The problem with offence as we have it now is that it, it's become a kind of you-can't-say-that attitude. In other words, it cuts off that, that, that discussion de- uh, debate. You can't say that because it is so important to me. Um, you can't say that because it is so important to my culture. And it is in that sense, I think, that not just that the notion of offense has changed um, and become highly problematic, but that it's, it's the way it plays to the questions of power as well. Because it is in, in that sense, it seems to me the notion of offense now is a modern secularized version of the old notion of blasphemy and um, that while blasphemy laws uh, has been abolished, they've been replaced by notion of offense because mm. the, I, I, in a sense it's a secularized notion of the idea of the sacred. You know, the sacred was, 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 was kind of cutting off of, of the social sphere saying there are certain uh, forms, ideas, beliefs uh, and so on that cannot be challenged because they are sacred. And it seems to me that, uh, that, that the idea of offense is, is, is coming to take that role. And that's the problem. The problem isn't that people get offended, or they get outraged. It is that it is a form of debate which cuts off debate, uh, and that, to me, is, is, is what is really problematic about it. Yeah, it's true.
10: Yeah, um, I, I think that, that's a good point. But one other unique point about um, about the nature of offence at the moment is that even within the last two or three years. The speed by which uh, modern communications mean that a localized offense can become a global offense um, is, is, is a whole new thing that people are trying to get their heads around. Um, there were 65,000 complaints about um, Jerry Springer, the opera, but the majority of them, when traced, were from, um, from America. Right, where it had never been on it was not, and it hadn't ever been broadcast. It was not possible for anyone to have seen it. It was about networking between, um, between Christian groups. The other thing it means is that people can fire out a complaint about something now via email or mobile phone or, or marshal a, a, a campaign before they've really had time to, uh, to think about it. I just did a telly thing where I did a joke about Richard Dawkins and two people contacted the BBC to complain but it was unfair to make fun of Stephen Hawkins, given his current <laughs> difficulties, right? So it's sort of, there is a mad acceleration of complaint as well, n- which isn't just about social paranoia, it's about, the, about email and mobile phones that mean people can organise stuff before they even thought about it, I think.
1: Brilliant. I'm going to abuse my position in the chair to make a point that I hoped would be made from the floor, but hasn't been, which is just about this offence and grievance uh, thing. And, and just to say, most of the political movements that, that I've been involved in or have admired from the 20th century have begun or have been defined by moments of arguing that things should be banned. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, fasci- the, the anti fascist in the East End of the 30, uh, in the 1930s were asking for a march to be banned that the first act of the women's liberation movement was in in this country was to uh, demonstrate against and try and get banned the Miss World competition. Uh, David and I, when we were involved in the anti-fascist struggle in the late 70s, one of the key flanks of that to answer a question that was asked yesterday was was, was calling on the BBC to deny the National Front their legal right to a party political broadcast. Uh, I think many, many political movements start there and and the best ones, however, don't end there. Mm. Um, thank you all very much. thank the panel and just b- b- before uh, gals of applause or whatever it may be, um, w- we should strive to start at 2:15, means uh, which is a shortish lunch, uh, but it's reasonably efficient and see so you back there then. Thank you for listening. <laughs>
0: This conference was supported by the School of Theatre Performance and Cultural Policy Studies at the University of Warwick, Warwick Arts Centre, the Humanities Research Centre at the University of Warwick and the Department of Drama and Theatre at Royal Holloway.